You're listening to On the Record here on News Talk with Susan Kyo. I'm with you until one o'clock. Now, next Friday is the 100th anniversary of a general election that changed Ireland forever. In 1918, we went to the polls in our millions, including for the first time women, and voted for a radically new Ireland. It was the election that saw the first woman ever elected to Westminster, and it was an election which, in parts of Ireland, witnessed very real scenes of violence, described by one observer as the triumph of the young over the old. It was undoubtedly the most important election in the history of Ireland. And to tell us all about it, we're joined by Donald Fallon for another edition of Hidden Histories. Good afternoon, Donald. Good to be here, good to be here. So, Donald, real change uh, sometimes does come from the it ballot does, box, it, it does. seems. And, you know, when, when we think about revolutionary Ireland, we think about military engagements, you know, the rising, the War of Independence, the Civil War. Often, you know, it's, it's moments in between those military engagements. Ordinary life when amazing things happen. And this story, the 1918 general election, so beautifully described by that policeman as the triumph of the young over the old, is a moment of, of great change. And, you know, listening to this now, there's few things as uninspiring to me anyway as a thought of a general election in this country. But a 100 years ago, things were very, very different. And the ballot box did change the course of Irish history. And it's difficult, I think, to imagine the course of Irish history without the 1918 general election. The first election in which women participated, both as, as voters, as candidates, the first election since World War One began. And I suppose you could call it something of a quiet revolution in its own way. Now, there hadn't been an election in eight years and a lot of people were actually voting for the very first time. They were. I mean, it's estimated that more than 60% of people who voted in the 1918 election were voting for the first time in a general election, which is which is extraordinary. And 1910, so eight years have passed since the last election. And at that time, the electorate stood at 701,000 people. Now you had, to get it exactly right, 1,936,673 people entitled to vote, which is extraordinary. So it was this great exercise in democracy, you know, and the representation of the People Act, as it was called, had passed through Westminster and had finally given the right to vote to women. Now, when I say women, not every woman. You have to be a certain kind of woman, a very respectable woman, over 30 years of age, property rights and a university education. Then you got the right to vote. But it was a step in the right direction. Some women could finally vote. And, you know, the placement of the vote in the hands of women in a limited capacity was kind of good news for Sinn Féin. You know, Sinn Féin were seen as, as, as a young, upcoming party, a supporter of women's rights. And in the other corner, you had the old guard, you know, John Redmond's party, the Irish Parliamentary Party, who were not great fans of women's suffrage. I mean, John Dillon famously said that women's suffrage will be the ruin of our Western civilization. It will destroy the home, challenge the headship of man, laid down by God. It may come in your time, I hope, but not in mine. So, you know, the idea of letting a woman go and participate in a general election was a controversial one. But remember only two years before this, the 1916 proclamation talked about universal suffrage. You know, it began Irish men and Irish women. So for the very first time, women were treated, some women were treated as equals at the ballot box. Now women fought very hard for their right to vote. They did. Sometimes they broke the law, but sometimes you had to break the law. You know, and the struggle of of suffragettes across these two islands was, was quite extraordinary. The Irish Women's Franchise League, the Irish suffragettes, had literally done their time. You know, more than 30 women were locked up in Ireland between 1912 and 1918 for you know, direct action. And sometimes it was, it, was, uh, it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, they famously broke windows at Dublin Castle, the GPO and the Custom House. Uh, in England, they went down Oxford Street and broke every window on the street. They set fire to post boxes full of mail. There were arson attacks, uh, including here on the island of Ireland. You know, women on one occasion burnt political messages into golf courses, you know, votes for women so you couldn't play the next day. Uh, but, you know, women, women fought hard to get there. I mean, they'd literally thrown themselves in the way of politicians and occasionally horses for 
a right to participate in electoral politics and now they finally could. Now really it was about the kind of Irish nationalism you wanted. It was. I mean you had two options before you. The Irish Parliamentary Party, the old guard if you will, pale male and, uh, pale male and sale. And then the other corner you had this new party which was Sinn Féin. And the Parliamentary Party, I mean basically they believed in home rule, they had a trek rec- record, they'd been there a long time. In the other corner you had these kind of young upstarts who stood for this idea of a republic and people weren't even entirely sure what that meant. But when you look at who's out canvassing for Sinn Féin in 1918, they're young people coming them on, the Irish volunteers, they're 19, 20 year olds hitting the doors for the first time. So in the eyes of many, you know, it was, do you believe in the status quo, the, the, par- the, the parliamentary party, or do you want to put your faith in something new? Now, the old guard didn't go out without a fight. Oh, of course not, they never do, you know, and the parliamentary party fought Sinn Féin on the streets in some places. In West Belfast, there was extraordinary violence. And Kevin O'Shiel, who, w- who went up to Belfast to canvas for Sinn Féin, his account of being there is brilliant. He says, I shall never forget that wild, yelling, maddened mob that pelted us for two hours with sticks, stones, rivets, rotten eggs, dead cats and rats. Only for a strong draft of volunteers and belated help from the police I doubt if any of us would have survived intact. Can you imagine Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael on the doorsteps in Dublin trying rotten cats or rotten, rotten eggs and dead cats at one another? I can't. But the IPP, the Parliamentary Party I mean it didn't go out without a fight. They were not willing to hand over power and they fought a number of very bitter by-elections with Sinn Féin 1917 and into 1918. And I think they thought they'd do okay. I think they thought look this young party is a challenge to us but will come through relatively intact. Dylan said you know, we'll come back with a better party than we have now. They'll probably considerably reduce the numbers. But in the end, they were absolutely hammered, hammered on the doors. And the Labour Party, um, Donald, very oddly, didn't stand anyone. I think the Labour Party had the sense to realise that this was basically a referendum on Irish nationalism. You know, that as far as the electorate were concerned, the question of questions was, you like this crowd, the Parliamentary Party, or do you like Sinn Féin? And I think the Labour Party felt they were going to get caught in the crossfire. So they made the decision to step aside and to let it become a kind of referendum, you know, on that question home rule or the republic. So when Labour steps aside, they do it of their own choosing and their own free will. And there's this urban myth in Irish politics that they were forced to stand aside. The slogan was, Labour must wait. In reality, the Labour Party made the decision not to stand and to give Sinn Féin a clear run at it. Now, turnout um, was high and then the result, I suppose, largely unsurprising. Yeah, the turnout was through the roof. And I think one reason was it, it, it was the end of the year and 1918 was a very, very bad year in Ireland. You had the Spanish flu epidemic. That ran amok. I mean, the Spanish flu killed more people in this country than the violence of the entire revolutionary period. 20,000 people died of the flu. So things were finally better. You could actually come out on the public transport. You could go out onto the streets without the risk of getting sick and dying. So people did come out in great numbers. And actually right up to the day of the election, I mean, Dick Coleman, who was a, an Irish volunteer prisoner, he died in prison only days before the election as a result of the flu. So the flu was starting to wane and you know it was a chance to come out in your numbers. And the IPP were hammered. I mean, they took six seats, uh, one of which, Waterford City, was outside Ulster. But otherwise... They held on to a few seats in the north and they were otherwise hammered. And one of the problems is the British system, which is still an abysmal system. The British have that first-past-the-post system where, you know, you can get hundreds of thousands of votes and come away with almost no seats. So the IPP got 220,000 votes, which was 21.7% of the vote, and they only got six, six seats, seats for it, which, yeah. is, which is a terrible, terrible day out for them. Sinn Féin got 476,000 votes, so more than twice what they got, and they took 73 seats. So that's the way the system was. Now, two women stood in Ireland, both of them performing very differently. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sinn Féin stood two women, and they probably should have stood more, but there was a great controversy over the idea of standing women. And in Dublin, it was Countess Markovich, Connie Gorbu, who was in prison at the time and in Belfast a, a brilliant young woman called Winifred Carney uh, Winnie Carney was James Connolly's secretary in 1916 
And she went into the GPO famously with a typewriter under her arm and a Webley revolver in her hand. So she became the typist with the Webley. And they ran her in Belfast Victoria Ward, so East Belfast. She didn't have a hope in hell. I mean, there won't be a Sinn Féin MP elected there ever in her lifetime or the next. And she got 395 votes in a solidly unionist constituency. I don't know how they found 395 people to vote for her, but they somehow did. And she stood in her election manifesto for a workers' republic. So not only was she running in loyalist East Belfast as a Sinn Féin candidate, she was running as a Sinn Féin socialist. She didn't have a hope in hell. Markovic was elected, though, in Dublin, which was incredible because she was in jail. The first woman ever elected to the Westminster uh, House of Commons. Now, if you ever do the tour of Westminster, and it's a very good tour, they get around Markovic because they talk about the first woman to sit in Westminster. And by doing that, they don't have to acknowledge Markovic. But she took her seat from this guy called William Field, who had been in office since 1892. And ironically enough, he actually described himself as a suffragist and he supported votes for women. So he was one of the only parliamentary party people that was in favour of giving women the right to vote. And then he lost his bloody seat (laughs) to one of them in the end. And she wasn't very enthused, Markovic. I mean, she wasn't particularly bothered about standing. She wrote to her sister in prison, would you stand for parliament? I wouldn't mind doing it as a shinner, as a bit of sport, but you don't even have to go to parliament if you win, but have to sit there and listen to all that blitter. <laughs> for unionism, Donald, um, it was a very bloody nose, but uh, they did well in Ulster and surprisingly in Rat Mines. I think for unionists, it was about solidifying the base. You know, see what we have, hold on to that, keep that. And also, when you look at the 1918 election results, you can see partition on the cards. You know, you can see unionism has its base in the northeast of Ireland, but they also won seats in Dublin. They won seats in Trinity College, which wasn't very surprising. I mean, the Catholic Church was still telling young Catholics not to go to Trinity College and Rat Mines. And Rat Mines was always viewed as this kind of unionist, middle-class, Protestant enclave beyond the Canal of Dublin, and they held on to a seat there. But, you know, I think for for, for Southern unionists, it was the beginning of the end. I mean, you, you could see what way the wind was blowing, and it wasn't blowing in your direction. And they had this crisis meeting then in January 1919 in the Freemasons Hall of Molesworth Street, where basically unionists, the Southern unionists, just raised the white flag. I think they realised that they'd lost. But for if you were a Northern unionist... What it was about was the certainty of partition. You know, you looked at the results and said, we've lost the South. What we need to do is hold on to what we have. You know, what we have, we hold. Keep Ulster in the Union. Great stuff. My thanks to Donald Fallon, author of the Come Here To Me blog and book volume two. That is it from me today. Off the Ball is up next here on News Talk. My thanks to the production team this morning, Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan with Peter Malloy on sound. Now to play us out this morning, a good bit of coverage of this in the papers today. Pete Shelley, the lead singer with the Buzzcocks, who died during the week at the age of 63. So I will leave you this this morning. Thanks for listening and enjoy your Sunday.